Our scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. It is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left and went away. Left him and went away. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Well, as the uh, Pastor Justin here already already pointed out, that I was uh, honored in being cho chosen to be the youth uh, the youth director here. I'm gonna share a little bit about myself. As you can hear, I have an accent, so you can already know that I'm not from around here. I am from Brazil, and my name is Albert Oliveira. So if you ever want to know how to pronounce my name, if you forget, just remember the lotion, Oliveira. <laughs> so that's my last name. Uh, that beautiful lady right there, that's my fiance, Caroline. I did not point, I did not point to Pastor Justin. That would be, that would be weird. <laughs> She's right behind him. Um, so I'm 27, 27 years old, and I'm going to tell a little bit about myself, how I got here, how I learned English, how everything. So... Uh, as I always tell my testimony, I start even with the background with my family, my parents. So my parents, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, that was when I was still a baby. And one time he was, one time he, wa he went to the carnival, which is crazy, a crazy party in Brazil. Um, Mardi Gras, kind of like that, but carnival is limitless, I would say. 
And my dad went to that. And, one, and on, the no, on the next morning, he woke up from being drunk on the sidewalk. And he checked his pocket to see if he had maybe money for more alcohol or money to get back home. And what he found was a gospel track that somebody had put in his pocket. And he sat on the sidewalk. He read that. And he wanted to change his life. So he went back home and, and shared with my mom that he wanted to change. And, and they agreed to go to a church. And uh, they accepted Christ. And that was when I was three years old. So that means that I grew up. I grew up in. Oh, you'll notice, by the way, that I talk with my hand. So I was really happy that I have a microphone that I can hold. This way I can control at least one hand. So I'll be here waving with the other one. So. Um, my, my parents, they, they raised me in a, in a Christian home, but it doesn't mean that just because I was raised in a Christian home that I'm Christian. The same way that if you, put a, if you stay in a, in a garage your entire life, doesn't mean you're a car. So, so when I was 13 years old, I started uh, helping a friend of mine that had an internet cafe. And I, I would go there and to access internet and stuff. And every time they would go eat lunch or dinner, they would say, hey, Albert, can you stay here taking care of that while, while we go? Oh, by the way, let me go back. There's a fun fact. I was born on a boat, and I told that to the youth. Um, my, my dad used to be a lab technician, and he was helping the army uh, find uh, diseases of uh, indigenous people along the shore of the Amazon River. So my mom was helping, my, was with my dad whenever she was pregnant. And of course, I had to be born in the most convenient time. So I was born on that boat. So there you go. I was, I, I, since the beginning, I'm born for missions. So, <laughs> so moving forward, when I was 13 and I was helping them with their internet cafe. And during that time, there were some people that would come and they would start coding on the computers of, uh, of the internet cafe. And they would, they would be doing some stuff that I would find that cool. And, I'd say, and I came to one of them and said, hey, can you teach me that stuff? And he said, yeah, I'll teach you that stuff. And they, they started teaching me. And, and then they, they, said to me, they said to me, do you, do you want to be part of our group? And of course I wanted to be part of a group that codes. And I was young. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be cool. Well, it ends up there was a hacking gang. And they wanted me because in Brazil, you cannot go to jail unless you're 18 or above, so you can do whatever and you'll be without a problem. So they wanted to use me so that in the end, it's me doing it and they don't get any blame. They're just the, the people teaching and telling me what to do. So, and the reason they would go to the internet cafe is because there would be the IP that they, the police would go to and trace and they would never find them. So I was doing that. Uh, my age of 13, then 14, a lot of my 14th year. And then when I was almost 15, my dad, who had become a pastor, he had a team, a team of missionaries from North Carolina that came to his church. And my and I, I was completely changed. You know, my lifestyle was, uh, could already reflect how far I was from Christ and my behavior and everything. So I was the worst student. I've, I've been expelled from school. I've, I've failed school twice. Uh, I failed uh, high school twice, one from, uh, one from being a bad kid and one from going to too many mission trips and skipping school too much. So one year is forgivable. So uh, when, when, that when that team of missionaries came, my mom came to my dad and said, hey, can Albert help them? And my dad was, 
he doesn't speak English. And my, and my mom said, but he knows the city really well, so how about he will be the guide from door to door since he knows the city really well? And my dad said, okay. So that was like two weeks before my, my 15th birthday. And I was taking the missionaries house to house, and every time I would go in, somebody would say, it's so good for you to be so young and serving God. And that was convicting me because I knew that I was not, I was not serving God in my, in my real life. You know, that was just something that I did because I thought it would be cool to be with the American people in, in my small town. So one time I came to the missionary and I, I used the translator and I said, I, want, I would like to share with you how my life's going and I would like to really accept Christ in my life. So that's the moment I accept Christ. And then I shared my information with them and they told me about MySpace, which was cool in the day. And uh, MySpace was not popular in Brazil ever. It was a website called Orkut that was never popular here. So uh, I got a MySpace account and I, I started uh, messaging them and that's how I learned English. So six months later, I thought I could speak English. So I came to the missionary that brought the American missionaries to my dad's church and I said, hey, I wanna be a translator. And he said, okay, how about you show up in this town two weeks from now with your clothes and with your bags and a mattress. And I said, okay. So I showed up there and I'm still friends with the team that I first translated. They always joke that the only word that I could speak in English was what? <laughs> so, but from that moment on, my life was missions. I was going to missions all the time to the point that I failed school for going to too many. I, every time there was a, a team of missionaries coming, I would sign up. And, and at the same time that my parents knew that they was going to harm my school, they knew that I'll, they would pay off somehow. And, and it did. Uh, it, changed my, it changed my sense of responsibility. So after that, I wanted to study. I wanted to, to, have, uh, to, to have something purposeful uh, other than just skipping class and going. I, so I became organized. And Christ started changing my life in a way that it, it not only changed the fact that I, I learned a new language or that I was not a bad kid anymore, but it, it made me a person that you can count. Uh, it made me responsible. It made me accountable. And it completely changed even my personality, my behavior. It changed me completely. So after that, I wanted to just learn other languages. So I, I, I decided to take every summer to, to learn a different language. And I also learned Spanish, I learned German, which I used to impress her because she's from Germany and it paid off. So, um, and I'm currently learning Mandarin Chinese because I, there's many, many times we see Chinese people in Chinese restaurants and we don't understand that they, they have never been witnessed to. Many of them do, do not speak English. So that's one reason that I wanted to learn Chinese. And I, when, during the interview, they asked many questions about why I want to be a youth minister here. And the, the reason is because I believe that the, new, the, the newer generation is, the, new, the, the, the next revival is going to happen with young people. The, the secular world has already recognized that there is a great potential in younger generations, which is why the, the business investments and phone applications and technologies all surrounding that generation. And I truly believe, and I want to be part of that revival. 
And I want to be part of what, of, of what God's going to do through this church, through this community, through the younger generation. So I, I, have, a, I have a Bible verse. It's one of my favorites. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It's very short. Y'all don't, don't need to go there. It's going to be really quick. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. I know that uh, this church has been without a uh, youth director for a, for a while, and, but you guys have keeping up with the good work. You guys have doing what you can to keep the youth coming, to keep uh, the church strong, and the, the good work has been going on. And I, I'm here just to help and to, to complete something that, that has been already been doing. And I know that the time to reap the harvest is coming. So that's, that's the verse that I want the church to remember. Uh, when, when youth decides to come and when uh, other events start to happen. And, and it, I want you to always remember that it may, it may, it may sound, sound hard sometimes when you hear something that will be different than what was done. But remember that the time to reap will, will, will come and you'll see the purpose of the time that there was without a youth director and the purpose of the time when there was a youth director, the, the purpose of, of what's going to happen. So that's, that's who I am. I just, I want to be here and I want to, I want the same, the same time that I want the youth to find themselves with a purpose in being in Christ. I want to be here knowing that I'm doing something not just because I get a paycheck in the end of the month, but because that's what I was made for to glorify God and to, to find my purpose in that. So, that's me. Thank you, Albert. All right, turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 26. We've been going through the book of Proverbs. We have already blazed quite a trail. We went through uh, chapters 1 through 10 um, in order. We've done some difficult Proverbs. We looked at how Proverbs relates to family life. And now we're moving into another group of Proverbs and looking at how Proverbs talks about our language, our tongue. Right? The, the words that we use and the problems that that can create and the ways that we can use that good for good or for bad. <clears throat> I did want to also, before we get started, I, w- I know that, um, that many have maybe been uh, disheartened or maybe uh, shocked by or maybe not, not imp- appreciated. That I know mo- many of the messages through Proverbs have been, uh, I've mostly read them. Um, I write, type it all out and read it. And at one time I know, I, I, I know that it's very difficult to uh, feel like you're just being read to every week. But I want to tell you guys, um, Proverbs is very difficult to preach. It's an extremely difficult book to preach. Um, I have found myself challenged time and again, how in the world do I even preach this? Right? How do I do this in a way that is honoring God's word and, and, and dealing with the topics that Proverbs deals with uh, and dealing with it well? So a lot of times I have fully written out the sermon because I don't want you guys to get lost in 
uh, and me going, um, and there was uh, that one thing that, uh, you know, and then you would get nothing out of the message, right? If I was sitting here trying to figure out what I was trying to say half the time, that would be unfair for you. So um, I do want to thank you for your patience, though. Um, that you guys have been very patient with me through that process as we've gone through the book of Proverbs. Um, and uh, I am working on it, so don't, don't think that I'm ignoring the fact that I'm just reading. I don't want to be just reading to you guys. I do love you guys, and I want you guys to, to get the meat of God's word. Uh, and so uh, while, while I do apologize, I also do thank you for your, for your patience, and I do want to continue sharing God's word with you. Proverbs chapter 26, beginning in verse 18 reads this. Like a madman who throws fire, firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will, will fall into it, and a stone will come on him, come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage here. Lord, I pray that as we learn the destructive power of harmful words in this particular passage, Lord, that we would be humble before you, that we would seek to to use our words wisely, Lord, to use them the way that Proverbs would suggest us to, the way that James encourages us to, Lord, that we would have control of our tongue and discipline of our tongues, Lord, that we would realize uh, where our tongues are causing sin, where they are causing hurt, where they are causing pain in others, that we would repent of that sin and that we would uh, pursue to, um, to glorify you with our language, our words. Praise in your name. Amen. Now, many of you have probably heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will, well, words will never hurt you, right? Right? It's a, the biggest lie we have ever heard in our entire lives. It's nice, and it rhymes, and it maybe helps kids out a little bit, but it is a total lie. Words are extremely powerful, right? Yes, they may not actually literally break your bone, but words are more, your bone will heal generally, right? We have some people who know that firsthand, right? Your bones will heal, but sometimes hurtful words never do really heal. So words can be very, very powerful. We cannot believe this lie that words will never harm someone. In this particular passage in Proverbs, this is a collection of Proverbs that follows the path of three types of people who use their tongues to bring destruction to those around them. So here we have in this first section is verses 8 and 9. We see in this that that what this really teaches us is that we must discipline our tongues away from deceptive and even perverse words we'll see in other places in Proverbs as well. We must discipline our tongues away from deceptive and perverse words. The verse here says, 
like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. What a picture is being drawn there, right? Like a madman. Imagine a person absolutely crazy and you give them a weapon. What's going to happen? Craziness is going to happen, right? It's going to happen. We've seen that all throughout our nation, even in recent months. We've seen that people that are not sane of mind, not sound of mind, will do crazy things with a weapon. And that's exactly what this says here. But instead of weapons, it says a person who is deceptive and says, I am only joking, is the exact same way. So what is deception? Starting with deception, what is deception? Deception can be defined as embellishment, exaggeration, half-truths, intentional misrepresentation, truth in jest, or perjury. All of these things are deceptive language. This passage particularly speaks about truth in jest. This is the person who says something true like, uh, just think, just as an illustration, maybe saying, you know, that, that, that dress doesn't make you kind of look, makes you, makes you look a little fat. I'm only kidding, right? Because you see that it hurts them and you say, I was only joking, right? Because that's supposed to make it better, right? Truth in jest, you say something that is actually true, then you say, oh, I was only kidding, so that hopefully that they don't get offended by it. And that's what this particular verse is, is actually speaking about. We try to minimize the pain. This person tries to minimize the pain. This crazy person, this, this uh, deceptive person tries to minimize pain by saying, I was only joking, but in matter of fact, they actually do mean it. We all use this kind of speech, do we not? We exaggerate and, and leave out details so that we might look better. We don't tell the whole truth, right? We just want to use part of the truth. Children do this all the time to avoid trouble, right? A child will, will use deception to avoid trouble. Curtis is an expert at this already. He's an expert at this. You ask him, what do you have in your mouth? You saw the paper he was chewing on. What do you have in your mouth? And he goes, closes his mouth and hides, Right? He thinks that we, maybe we can't see it if he hides it. Or maybe we say, what are you doing when we know he's being naughty? And he runs away or tries to go find some place to hide behind the chair or, or, goes, or thinks he's being hilarious and runs away. Right? He's trying to deceive us. And yes, it's funny and yes, it's cute, but it's not good. Right? It is wicked and it is evil. He pretends that he didn't hear us sometimes. He'll be sitting there doing something, and we say, Curtis, what are you doing? Hey, Curtis, knock that off, and he just sits there still. No, I didn't hear you at all, right? Children are really good at being deceptive. Perhaps some of the children here are thinking, I did that this morning. <laughs> and parents said, amen. <laughs> Teenagers deceive, right? Teenagers will be deceptive. They'll cheat in school to get good grades, and then, they'll lie to the, and then they will also lie to their parents about where they're going. Well, I'm going to my friend's house, but really, what are they doing? Right? <laughs> exactly, right? Adults also deceive. Don't think this is just a problem for those under 18, right? Adults will deceive as well. We will lie to our boss about being sick. 
We'll hide things from our spouse with the intention to keep a serene bubble in the marriage, but really we are lying to them. We will also blame, some, blame someone else for our faults. Why do we deceive people like this? Why do we do this? We do it because we want something and we believe that manipulating the truth is the way to get it. This reveals idolatry because it shows that we are seeking satisfaction and joy in something other than God. We try to find satisfaction in people's approval and we value it more than God's approval. We also see another area of deceptive speech would be like perverse speech. Oftentimes we think the perverse speech is just like saying naughty things or you know, using bad words or talking about you know, maybe uh, uh, inappropriate topics. But Proverbs actually has a much broader category for this and it really is deception. Perverse speech distorts truth and reality. It is another form of deception. A person that we must understand that the person who engages in perverse speech probably thinks that what they're saying is true. They probably believe what they're saying is true, yet ignorance is not enough to, excuse, to be an excuse for sin. Just because you believe it's true, if it is false, it is still sin to, make that, to use that kind of speech. So some illustrations of perverse speech, false religions or false ideas would be perverse speech. Right, a religion that says that you must kill infidels in order to gain several virgins when you get to heaven. It's false speech. It is perverse speech. Therefore, it is sin. False ideas that following Jesus will make you healthy and wealthy. And, and that's, the way you, that, that's what Christianity is all about. That is a false idea and therefore is perverse speech. Another way of perverse speech would be calling sin a good thing. It's okay to be a homosexual. It's not wrong. That's normal. Right? They were born that way. Yes, every one of us were born sinners. It's true. That does not make it not sinful. Living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that's fine. Divorce, it's okay. It's a good thing. Gluttony could be as a good thing. Self-righteousness. When we call these things that Scripture is clear are sinful things, and we say that is a good thing, that is perverse speech. Another category would maybe justification of sin. Some of these similar areas that we, when we call sin a good thing, can be also when we justify sin. We know it's wrong, but we try to make a way for it to be okay. With our mouths, we rationalize and minimize our sin. Well, I didn't tell that big of a lie. You know, we were doing this and this and this because it, it ended up being a good thing after, at the end of the day, even though we knew it was wrong. Rationalizing sin is also perverse speech. When we rationalize and minimize our sin, it is perverse speech because God does not minimize or rationalize your sin. God does not do that. We do this because we want to live how we want to live and avoid repentance. We want to live on our own terms and say, I am a good person, instead of trusting Jesus to justify us and make us righteous. 
In both of these areas, in, in deception and perverse speech, we tend to say, I am only joking. We've made an idol out of jokes, as if everything is okay if we're only joking. Instead of engaging in deceptive and perverse speech, we must love truth and love God's word and let our mind be transformed by scripture. Secondly, this morning, we must dis- dis- discipline our tongues away from quarreling words. Look at verses 20 through 22. It says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. Right? What this is saying here, if nobody's adding fuel to the fire, the fire will go out. Right? What's the opposite of that? A quarrelsome person is going to add fuel to the fire. Verse 21, as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife or causing problems with each other, causing uh, uh, disunity. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Verse 22 is actually quoting. It's actually, a, 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 it's, the, it's basically, if you go back to chapter 18, verse 8, it's almost the exact same verse where 18.8 is talking about gossip. Here it is applied to quarreling words. Bruce Waltke explains that the audience greedily swallows up this, decept, this quarrelsome man's inflammatory speech delighting in them. And the words make a deep impact on their lives. I think of politicians or celebrities that we raise up and we say, they're just telling it like it is. But at the end of the day, are they not just being quarrelsome? Are they not just starting fights that they didn't have to start? The first area of quarrelsome words we're going to look at today is contentious speech. This person loves to argue. The quarrelsome person with contentious speech loves to argue. This is different than trying to seek truth, right? If we're having a discussion and a disagreement about something and we're debating the pros and cons of something, that's different than being quarrelsome here. That can be the seeking of truth can be, uh, can be, uh, can be a positive aspect, but here, this is talking about, uh, you know, this is, you know, arguing about sports or sitcoms or politics or even the Bible just because you want your opinion to be heard. That kind of speech is harmful. This is the person you find commenting on a lot of things on Facebook, right? They're constantly on there adding their comments. But this also happens in churches. Complaining about what other people wear or grumbling about not getting your way. These people will also even make threats in the church or ultimatums and say things like, if they don't change things around here, I'm just going to have to leave. That is contentious speech. Rather than this kind of contentious speech, we must seek to put others ahead of ourselves and seek unity in the church and have the mind of Christ as described in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, describing our need for unity, says, Have this mind among you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And because of that humbling himself and dying on a cross, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our example of how we must act if we want to have unity in our church. Christ's humility on the cross is our example. Next we see another area of, of, of quarrelsome words. I would maybe put in the category of bragging. Saying something just because you want to make sure you get the upper hand, right? Well, I'm a really great whatever. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. If I was to walk around Gordon and say, I'm the best preacher in the city of Gordon, I preach better than anyone else here. Yeah, I'm awesome. I, I, I just quoted like half of Philippians 2. You know, how, what other pastors here are going to do that, right? I'll get laughed out of town, right? They'd raise me up on a beam and take me right on out, right? Bragging about yourself is not helpful. It doesn't do anybody any good. That was not bragging, guys. It was an illustration, okay? Come on now. We do this when we brag like this. It's because we are insecure or we want to exalt ourselves. The gospel can cure both of these things, both our insecurity and our desire to exalt ourselves because God's approval in Christ is incompatible with insecurity. If you are found in Christ, you cannot be insecure. And the humility of Christ in laying down his life for others is antithetical. They do not match. It is antithetical to self-exaltation. So what must we do if we find ourselves using contentious speech, if we find ourselves using bragging speech, we must pursue humility to avoid these types of speech. The third group this morning we must, uh, that is talked about, we learn that we must discipline our tongues away from hateful words. This section here, verses 23 through 28, is an admonition to the son here that is being talked to to avoid people with hateful speech. In the same way, we must be people who, who avoid hateful speech. We do not want to be this person. Verse 23 says, Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Right? Someone who speaks but has evil intentions in their, in their heart is like a, a, a pot with a glaze over it. How thick is that glaze? It's paper thin. Right? What looks beautiful on the outside is just a paper-thin veneer. And underneath is hateful speech. It's just hate. Look at verse 24. Then it says, He who, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. In verse 25, when he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. This phrase here, the seven abominations in his heart, this is uh, telling the, basically that his treachery is complete. This word, the seven, we've seen this in other places in Proverbs. Seven is this number that shows completion. And it's, it's a poetic number to talk about completion. Right? So this person, his treachery, his evil is absolutely complete. There are seven abominations in his heart. Verse 26 then says, 
Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. This person may be able to cover his words up by trying to be deceptive, by trying to you know, spice it up a little bit so people don't think it's as bad as it actually is, but ultimately he will be found out and he will be discovered. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. So flattery is discussed here. What is flattery? What is it talking about here? Flattery is smooth talk. This is flirting or praising others to manipulate the circumstances to your advantage. Now, I know not all of you here are Office fans, but in the TV show The Office, there's a great illustration of this. They have a surplus in their accounts, and they want to use that surplus so that they can, you know, keep the money for next year. They can have the same budget for next year. This debate ends up starting in, on, the, on the show, and there's a, a debate here that takes place where one group wants them to get new chairs for everybody. The other group wants to get a copier, a new copier for everyone. And they start, with it, what are, so what do they do? They go to the boss and they say, hey, you're awesome. You know what? You're so great. You're, you're aw-. You know, the, one of the, the, the girl, uh, the secretary girl, she is, is advocating for new chairs. So what she does is she goes to him and she goes to him and is like, hey, you got a really cool tie on. You're so funny, right? Trying to get him on her side. She starts flirting with him to get on, to get on his good side. Others go, hey, why don't, you come to, why don't you come to lunch with us? You know, we're, you're such a funny guy. We just want you around. We're going to cheer for you. All sorts of great stuff, you know? And what they're doing is flattery. They're using this, these words to manipulate the situation to get what they want. This is not talking about a genuine compliment. Flattery is when you're using positive words to deceive or manipulate for your own advantage. In the romantic sense, talking about flirting, using flirting to, to manipulate According to, the, to passages like Proverbs 7.21, flattery is the number one factor in cheating. Flattery and listening to flattery pulls your heart away from your spouse. In a non-romantic way, being overly nice to people who you think can advance, who we think can advance us, this is telling people what we, what we think they want to hear so that we can get something from them. This kind of speech is condemned throughout the book of Proverbs. Another area of hateful speech, may we, we may include gossip and slander, and this one could go in a couple of other categories as well. But gossip here is, is revealing a secret. What's interesting is this hateful speech, this person that's being described, is trying to destroy the son. He's trying to destroy him. So gossip has that same effect. Gossip and slander, gossip reveals a secret and slander is defaming people's reputation or mocking them. So when we say, don't tell anybody this, but, or even disguise it as a prayer request, guys, we really need to pray for so-and-so. He's just really gone off the deep end. Let me tell you that story. That could be gossip. It could be slander. Why do we do this? Out of revenge, maybe jealousy, or pride. So what should we do? How do we avoid gossip and slander and other areas of hateful speech, like flattery? How do we do this? To put it as nicely as possible, keep your mouth shut. 
Just keep your mouth shut. Don't do it. If you find yourself trying to manipulate through flattery, just stop. Just don't do it. Don't say that. If you find yourself about to gossip, just stop. Just stop. We see also in this passage that using harmful speech not only has consequences on others, which it does, but we also see that it has consequences on yourself. Every one of these areas of speech that we've seen will do damage to those around you. They will cause destruction around you. But we also see that it will also bring destruction on yourself. Look back at 26 and 27. This hateful person, it says, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Then it says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. That illustration in that next verse is, is, is really interesting. Right? You dig a pit with your words, telling lies about people, gossiping, slandering. Scripture says you're going to be the one that falls into that pit. Right? You're trying to manipulate stuff. You're pushing that stone around, trying to manipulate things. And what does Proverbs say? It's just going to fall right back on top of you. And it says in, as it says in verse 26, it will be made known in the assembly. And this may not happen immediately, but as we've seen through Proverbs, these are promises that ultimately this will be the case. Even if punishment does not come now, even if the, the assembly or whoever does not bring judgment on you now, ultimately God will bring judgment for this type of speech. Ultimately, he will bring judgment. And here comes the good news. So here's the reality. As we think about this type of speech, every one of us are condemned. Every one of us participate and use harmful words. We all do. Every one of us have at one time done one of these things. Here's the good news. Through Christ we can control our tongues and bring healing to broken relationships caused by harmful words. Here's the reality. As we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is about wisdom, choosing the path of wisdom rather than the path of foolishness. And what we've learned in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is not some concept to be learned, but rather a person to be worshipped. A person to be in relationship with. In our Sunday school material this morning, it, talked, it brought up the passage in 1 Corinthians where it says that Christ is our wisdom. So true wisdom in Scripture, what Scripture teaches us is that Christ is wisdom for us. So we have all been foolish in our words, but Christ was wisdom for us so that we can be forgiven. We will never be as wise as the book of Proverbs, but Christ fulfilled every word of it. And he offers that grace and forgiveness for our, for our use of our words. Because he was perfect. He perfectly obeyed Proverbs. He perfectly obeyed the law. And he died as a sacrifice for our sin, for our foolishness. And rose from the dead, conquering our foolishness conquering the consequences of our foolishness and offering life through Christ. That's the good news, guys. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, 
Today's a great opportunity, a great time to make that decision to follow Christ, to give wisdom, Christ, control of your life. For invitation, we're going to do something a little bit unique as we move over to the Lord's Supper. If you have anything against your brother or sister in Christ, if you've used harmful words towards them, either to their face or behind their back, use this time to seek repentance. Right now, during their invitation, if there's somebody you said, I know I've said something about that person, they may not know it, or they may have, have their feelings hurt by it, take this opportunity to go grab them by the hand, grab them by the arm, bring them down here, sit with them, and ask for forgiveness. Use this opportunity as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an event that unifies the church. There should not be contention in the church if we're, as, we pursue the, as we move into the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to, to worship you through hearing your word. Lord, I pray that we would bring you glory during this invitation. The Lord, if there is sin that needs to be repented of and confessed to one another, that you would give us the courage to do that, Lord. What other people, whether or not anyone else sees us is not important, Lord. What is important is that we are right in our relationship with you and that we are unified together. Thank you. I pray for this time of invitation that we may glorify you. In your name.